Well, it's so encouraging to see so many people who stood when Don asked the question, how many of you read your Bibles at least once a week? Uh, let me say to those of you who didn't stand, one, I just so appreciate and admire your honesty. Uh, I would have felt a lot of pressure in that moment uh, to go ahead and stand up, but, but you didn't, and I appreciate that. And, uh, and I think you'll see why as we get into our sermon this morning, why I think you, you did something very commendable today by just remaining seated. I also want to encourage you to think about, if you're not reading the Bible, to consider doing that, whether or not you believe it to be uh, true or not. Uh, I think you will find it to be a great blessing to your life. It, it's an incredible book uh, filled with so many incredible stories uh, that have implications for our lives. And so I, I just encourage you to investigate it, begin to read it, and to consider what the Word of God actually has to share and how it can impact your life. Let me ask you a question. Of all the issues facing our country, what do you believe to be the most pressing? Now, don't say anything out loud, okay? I don't want to cause a fight here this morning. Uh, no question we're facing some doozies, uh, but I am of the opinion that the greatest threat to our nation and our world are not any of the issues that are at the forefront of today's headlines. Uh, personally, I believe that what is and will continue to undo us as a people is if we fail to regain our integrity. All the way back in 2008, there was a headline that said that integrity had died in the United States. I don't know if it's dead, dead or not, but it's certainly gone missing in corporate America and in politics and in sports and just about every other segment of society. And not only that, but it seems that many of us don't even agree on a definition for integrity. There are some who argue that integrity is simply uh, being true to what you believe. And that sounds good, but that's a horrible, horrible definition if you think about it. Let me explain why. Um, take, for example, this. A cheat does what he believes to be true. He believes it's true that he has a right to be happy. He believes that it is true to get ahead. And so in his mind, that justifies being a cheat. That just makes him a sincere cheat. And so let me give you a better definition for integrity. A better definition is believing and doing what is true. Now, obviously, this leads to the question of, well, who gets to define what is true? And that's a whole big debate, isn't it? Especially in our society today. Personally, here's my conviction. That the one who created the entire universe has the right to tell us how he desires for us to live in his world. Determining what is true, what is right or wrong, it really has nothing to do with me and it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with popular opinion. That is to be determined by the Lord God Almighty and Him alone. And so a person of integrity lives by God's truth. And outside of Jesus Christ, you'd be hard-pressed to find a person who modeled integrity any better than the man who is at the focus of this sermon series, a man by the name of Joseph. This morning, we're going to take a look at a moment in his life, really a, a period of his life that put his integrity on full display. But before we do that, I just want to remind us of where we left Joseph at the end of last week. 
And so hopefully for those of you who are here for the first time, or maybe you were out last week, it's just kind of a reminder of what we talked about last week. Last week, 17-year-old Joseph was sent by his father to check on his brothers who were grazing their flocks some 60 miles away in Dothan. Now, it took a minute and a providential conversation with a guy in a field to actually find his brothers, but eventually he did. Now, unfortunately, the reunion with his brothers, it wasn't sweet by any means. Uh, His brothers were so threatened and jealous of God's dream or God's plan for Joseph's life that they greeted him with a beatdown. They tore his ornate robe off of him. They threw him in a cistern. They sold him to a group of gypsies who were traveling through. Then they headed back home, and they led their father to believe that their, his beloved son had been devoured by ferocious animals. Now, this part of the story ends with these words in Genesis chapter 37 and 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. In writing about integrity, Kerry Newhoff writes or shares the following insight. He says, what exactly is integrity anyway? Sometimes it's easiest to think about something out of its immediate context. When something is well built, we say it has structural integrity. So an earthquake, the building with excellent structural integrity survives. When something physically collapses, we say it didn't have the integrity to withstand the impact. All of this springs from the original Latin root of integrity, which means intact. Can you withstand the crisis intact? If anyone knew what it was like to go through a crisis, it was Joseph. He went from being the favorite son in his father's household to being one of many slaves in a foreign household. And yet, he not only survived that experience, he thrived in his new environment. Listen, I don't know exactly how long it took. I would imagine it took maybe a year or two years, but over time, Joseph went from being just one of many slaves in Potiphar's household to actually being put in charge of Potiphar's entire household. We go on to read in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 6, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Listen, this is quite an accomplishment for anyone, but especially for a person who had to learn a whole new language and a whole new culture, to suddenly rise to the very top. How exactly did he do that? We find our answer in the text. It says in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. All credit goes to God for his success. I'm going to make sure we have that clear this morning. All credit goes to God for what Joseph was able to achieve. But I'm convinced Joseph experienced God's favor in his life because of the way he handled the situation that he found himself in. We read this description in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 4. Joseph found favor in his, Potiphar's, eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So how did Joseph catch Potiphar's eye? 
Well, the text does not answer that particular question, but it's not hard to imagine, isn't it? How do you gain the trust of a boss? You show up to work on time. You take your job seriously. You over-deliver on what you promise. You don't complain. You don't fudge on your expense reports. You handle your business with care. You prove yourself to be coachable. You go beyond the call of duty. You see, Joseph received much more privilege and much more responsibility because, one, God was with him, but two, he proved himself to be a man of integrity. Now, integrity does not guarantee that good things will come your way. I don't want to give you the wrong impression this morning. It may, it may not, but here's what I believe it does guarantee. I believe it guarantees that God's favor will rest on you. Writer of Psalms says this in Psalm chapter 101, verse 6, My eyes favor the faithful in the land, so that they may sit down with me. God is always with us, just as He was with Joseph. But that does not guarantee that His blessing will always be on you. Now, there are times in life when God's blessing does not seem to be on us when we ask the question in that moment, where is God? I believe a better question to ask in that moment is simply this, is there any area of my life that is lacking integrity? Is there a lack of integrity in my finances? Is there a lack of integrity in my words? Is there a lack of integrity in my work ethic? Is there a lack of integrity in my sexuality? Is there any place that there is a lack of integrity? And as you begin to identify that, if there is, and you begin to address it, I believe you're going to receive God's favor much sooner than later. Now, I want you to also notice that the favor God showed Joseph, it spilled over onto Potiphar. Genesis chapter 39, verse 5. From the time he, Potiphar, put him, Joseph, in charge of his household... And of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? God says, listen, because Joseph was such a good man, he just did his work with integrity, all of a sudden Potiphar finds himself, he's just blessed in every single way because this guy's a part of his household now. And that right there is a prime example of God's covenant promise that he made to Joseph's great-grandfather decades prior. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Here's the promise that was made to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing to others, to our workplaces, to our schools, to our communities, to our organizations. You may not even see it, but when you live your life with integrity, others are going to be blessed by the way that you are living your life. Now, here's one thing that's very, very interesting to me. Potiphar, he begins to recognize that Joseph's success is not all of his own doing. Genesis 39, verse 2 through 4. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, 
And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. Potiphar's name literally meant he whom Ray or he whom the sun god gives. But Potiphar's able to recognize that all that's happening in Joseph's life, all these blessings that are taking place, it is a direct result of the actions and activities of Yahweh. It's not coming from Ray. It's not coming from the sun god. It's coming from Yahweh. That's the name that's used, that's translated Lord in that text. Now, how did he, did he know that? He's not familiar with Israel's God. He's been in Egypt, in Egypt his entire life. He's been worshiping Ray his entire life. How does he know these blessings are coming from Yahweh? Well, here's what I, I have to believe. That Joseph, this man of integrity, as he's doing his work, he's also worshiping Yahweh. And he's serving Yahweh. And as good things take place in his life, he's giving credit to Yahweh. It would have been so easy in so many ways for Joseph to compromise at this particular moment to say, you know what, I'm in Egypt, I'm learning Egyptian culture, I'm trying to fit in, I'll just adopt Egypt's gods. But he does not do that. That's integrity. He sticks to what he knows is true. If we're going to impact our world for the name of Jesus Christ, it is going to take far more than being really good employees. It's going to take more than being honest students. If, if that's all we do in life, there's a good chance that people are going to look at us and they're going to see our success and the blessings in our lives, and they're going to say, you know what, that must be a direct result of hard work and a good work ethic, or that's a, a direct result of luck, or that's just karma, or maybe they'll attribute it to some other God that they worship, but they're not going to know it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this responsibility to make sure that people didn't know that what we're motivated by is a deep, deep love for our living God, that He's the one that we want to please, and that we give credit to Him for the successes that we have in life. Now, if you live your life in integrity and other people are blessed the way that Potiphar was blessed by Joseph, it's going to create some unique opportunities of openness. People are going to want to understand what is it, who is it that's blessing your life the way that your life is being blessed. And in those moments, we have a wonderful opportunity and need to take advantage of the opportunity to shine the light on Jesus Christ. Now, Potiphar's eye was not the only one Joseph caught. Miss Potiphar took notice of him as well. But it wasn't for his work ethic. It wasn't for a success. You say, what was it? What well, was this chiseled jawline? <laughs> it was this dark skin. It was flowing hair and emerald eyes and his six-pack abs. Now, does the text say that? No, it does not. <laughs> but I promise you that he was not a six-foot-two, 140-pound, pasty-white, bald dude. That he was not. <laughs> This is the way that the text describes Joseph. 
Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. There are a few people in Scripture, four people, that Scripture describes this way. And it's because the author, when writing about those people, says, I want you to take note of this. Pay attention. This matters. Joseph was good-looking. Joseph was the kind of guy that if you walked in this auditorium this morning, even us men who do not comment on other men's appearances would say, that's a good-looking dude. <laughs> and her attraction eventually came to the point that she decided, I'm, I'm going to make an offer to this guy. It wasn't really an offer so much as it was a demand. And here's the demand, Genesis chapter 39, verse 7. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Again, the text is limited in detail. But I had to believe that her seduction game went beyond just a cold, come to bed with me. I imagine that she dressed in such a way that it was hard for a man to, to not take a second look. That she smelled like a spring breeze. That she was attentive when she listened that her compliments just flowed, that her touch was gentle, that her smile sent just a warm feeling through the veins. And if Joseph needed an excuse to rationalize a yes, he didn't have to look hard to find one. There are a ton of excuses he could have used. He could have said, listen, she's my superior, so what else can I do? that I have a whole lot that I could potentially lose if I turn this woman down in this particular moment, that, that really I deserve this after the bad hand that life has dealt me, that I need just a moment of comfort and care. This is part of the privilege that comes with this position that I now hold, that my family tree is full of sexual immorality, the Potiphar himself has several different mistresses, so what does it matter that Egyptian culture, it promotes promiscuity that nobody will ever know. But instead of using any one of those excuses to say yes, he held to his integrity, and he said no. Not just once, but he said no, day after day after day. And so how did he do it? And what can we learn from him about maintaining integrity when compromise would have been so easy and to some degree understandable? Well, the first thing we can learn is simply this, to live a life of integrity, the type of life that God favors, that He blesses, we need a plan. And the plan's really simple. You ready for it? Stay away from temptation. That's it. That, that's what Joseph tried his very best to do. Genesis chapter 39, verse 10, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I want to underline that. Or even be with her. Listen, if you're tempted to overeat, don't go to the all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> if you're tempted to cheat, don't buy the textbook with the answers in the back. If you're tempted to lose your temper, don't get on social media. If you're tempted to be unfaithful, don't flirt with the cute young receptionist. It's really quite simple. But unfortunately, 
if you're like me, oftentimes your plan's different. Your plan is simply, how close can I get to temptation without giving in? That's a bad strategy. It really is. Because as they say, if you play with fire, you're eventually going to get burned. I've been there. I'm guessing you've been there. So stay away. But at the same time, let me acknowledge that you can't avoid temptation completely, can you? I mean, as hard as you try, sin comes looking for you even when you're not looking for sin, right? And, and so what do you do in those particular moments when you just find yourself in, in a situation in which compromise is it's very appealing to you? Let's go back to the story. Genesis chapter 39, verse 11 and 12. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Second part of the plan is just as simple as the first. The second part is simply this, run from temptation. Run with it. Run from it. This is super important because uh, our, our emotional energy, it gets fatigued. That's real can happen. You only have so long, so much energy in which you can withstand temptation. So I'll give you another example. Maybe you have decided that you're going to go on a diet because your body's the temple of God. You haven't been treating it well, so you make the decision, God wants me to take better care of my, my body, so I'm going to exercise. I'm going to go on this diet. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to feel better. But then you get invited out to dinner. So you go to dinner with all your friends it's a big group. You go to a great restaurant. They're ordering everything on the menu that looks incredible. Uh, it's fattening and rich and tastes wonderful, but you're a strong person. And you've made a commitment. So you've ordered the salad with a little bit of salmon. And they're eating steak and they're eating cheeseburgers and french fries and everything else. But you, you stick to that salad. You're just doing great. I mean, you're so proud of yourself. You've got integrity. You're having at it. And then you finish dinner. You think you're done, but then the waitress comes around and says, how about dessert? And you say, no, thank you. I'm, I'm not tonight. I'm full. And everybody else says, dessert? Oh, you bet. Let's just let's splurge tonight. Let's have dessert. And so everybody at your table orders dessert, and you have to sit there, not for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, but about 30, 45 minutes listening to these people go, oh, this is so good. This is the best dessert I've ever had in my life. And they're saying, would you like a bite of my dessert? And you're strong for a long time, but eventually you get to about minute 35 and you say, I'll just have one bite. And by the end of the evening, you've had enough bites to fill two desserts, right? <laughs> because emotional fatigue is real. You say, sooner or later, you're going to say yes to what tempts you the most. And so you have to have the wisdom and the discipline to eliminate a yes as quickly as possible. And that's what Joseph was doing by just getting out of there. We need a plan, but we also need a reason to maintain our integrity. And Joseph had one. Genesis chapter 39, verse 8. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. And because you are his wife, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
I said Joseph had a reason. He really had more than one reason. One reason was this. He had a lot to lose. He had a lot to lose. You see, there's always a price for saying yes to temptation. Now, do you have to pay at the time of purchase? No, not usually, right? If you did, none of us would give in to temptation. None of us would violate our integrity. But sooner or later, you usually end up paying. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes it just robs you of your peace. Sometimes it's bigger. It robs you of what you've enjoyed. And so Joseph realizes, I'm sure, that if I, if I say yes to this temptation, there's a good chance that I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose on the privileges that I've been given. I'm going to lose on this position, this responsibility if, if Potiphar finds out. But if, even if Potiphar never finds out, even if he never finds out, there's still God. And that may disrupt God's plan. It may disrupt God's dream that he had for Joseph. Now, I am not suggesting in any way that if Joseph would have failed this integrity test, that God would have said, I'm throwing in the towel on Joseph. I don't believe that to be true at all. And I don't believe that to be true because all through Scripture, we read about other individuals who in moments of weakness said yes to a temptation. They failed in that moment. And God said, I'm still with you. And they turned back to God and he said, I'm still going to use you. And he did in a powerful way. And we know it in our own lives to be uh, true. Because you failed and I've failed and we've come back to God and we've said, I'm sorry. And God said, I'm still with you and I'm still going to use you. But I do want us to acknowledge, though, this morning that sometimes there are consequences, and it means that God has to rewrite some things, reshape some things, and maybe the plan that He did have for us, it doesn't work out the same way because of that decision that we made and the consequences that there are to bear. And so, if you want to pass the integrity test, one thing that I would encourage you to do is to think thoughtfully about what is it that you currently have that you could lose, or what does God have in store for you that may not work out if you say yes to that temptation in your life? And just give thought to that. Do you really want to put those things at risk? And it wasn't just what was at stake that gave Joseph reason to say no, it was who would be impacted. And who would be impacted? Well, obviously, Potiphar would. Now, there's a very good chance in Egyptian culture that Potiphar did have several mistresses. But still, the news of a cheating spouse would have been devastating for him. And so Joseph says, there's no possible way that I'm going to put this man who has been very good to me and kind to me and put me in charge of his household, I'm, just, I'm not going to put him through that. He doesn't deserve that. He shouldn't have to go through that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. You want to pass the integrity test? Think about those individuals who would be impacted if you said yes to the temptation. Think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about your coworkers. Think about just the people who know you and love you. And I'd encourage you to write a list of names down. Maybe review those daily. And see if that doesn't give you motivation to stand firm when you're being tempted. But even if Potiphar would not have ever found out, Joseph knew this, I don't want to hurt my God. That was the real motivation. I just don't want to hurt God. Every lapse of integrity, large or small, is seen by God. It's against God. 
It's a hit to his reputation. And your integrity pass rate, my integrity pass rate will go way up when that's at the forefront of our mind. So as we wrap this up, we just ask, how's your integrity? And one of my fears in a message like this is that it, it, it creates a lot of shame for a lot of us. We think about moments in our life where we have not withstood as we should, we have failed. Maybe you're even here this morning, you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit because you failed recently. Please hear me when I say this. Right now is a new beginning. That all you have to do is turn back towards the Heavenly Father who loves you so very much and head back into His arms. Repenting of what you've done, asking for His forgiveness, being assured that He will forgive you, and that He has a new start ready for you right now. And He has great things in store for your life. The worst thing that could happen this morning, in my opinion, is for the evil one to convince you that your story's done. It's not done. That was a chapter that was written. That chapter's done. There's a new chapter to be written by the Holy Spirit. And we also want us to recognize this morning that this isn't going to work just by sheer willpower. I don't have it in me. You don't have it in you. And that's why the gospel is so important. It's what Jesus came to do for us. And it's now the Holy Spirit that empowers us to walk in the ways of Jesus. And so entrust your life to Him.